0: wish that you could go back in time and talk to some of these characters we meet in scripture to just sit down and ask them what do you remember what advice would you give from those of us that come after I think about that in particular because I would love to talk to our hero today the Canaanite woman is how she is remembered Over the last few weeks, I've been lifting up folks that I'm calling spiritual heroes, people who have things about them that I think can teach us all who come after them. And today is a woman who is known simply as the Canaanite woman. Her name is not remembered. It is part of the sad reality of Scripture coming from the time and place that it did. Women's names were often not considered important enough to remember, so we don't know her name. But she has one of the most powerful encounters with Jesus in all of Scripture. And it's worth remembering, and I think we have a lot to learn from her. And when our passage begins today, keep in mind that Jesus has been in the middle of teaching others. That he's been questioned, really, about why his disciples aren't keeping the standard of the law, of the Torah, of how cleanliness and uncleanliness and unclean and not clean and holy and unholy. And it was a question about how the disciples didn't seem to be washing their hands as much. And Jesus actually says, you know what? What defiles a person is not what comes into their mouth, but what comes out of their mouth that defiles him." Jesus is, of course, trying to take down these walls of division to say how your life, how you live your life, the words you choose to use matters even more so than how you wash your hands. And yet, right after this teaching moment comes an encounter with a woman who changes Jesus' scope of ministry And I invite you to read along with me. It's in Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. And I'm going to read for seven verses today. It says that Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all, and all his disciples came and urged him, saying, "'Send her away. She keeps shouting after us.' He answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' But she came and knelt before him, saying, "'Lord, help me.' He answered, "'It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs.' And she said, "'Yes, Lord.' Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed. Now some have suggested over the years that Jesus was merely testing her. A little trick before she gets her big reward of her daughter's healing as if Jesus was just making sure her faith was really good and true, like some sort of uh, drill sergeant who pushes the new recruit to the limits just to make sure he really wants to be here. But personally, that whole interpretation has never really fit right for me. Why does this woman do this? Well, it's obvious. She's desperate, Desperate. Desperate people do desperate things, right? She busts into a room full of Jewish men, an outsider, grovels at Jesus' feet, Have mercy on me, Lord. And if you think about it, she is proclaiming more than his disciples are proclaiming about Jesus. She calls him, Lord, help me. And why? Why does she do such a desperate thing? To bust into a room so unseemly, not wanted there, to not go away? Why does she do it? Her daughter is sick. Her daughter's sick. Nothing will stop her. Like the parents of a little girl with a genetic condition, they make trips to New York, L.A., Houston, every clinic, every researcher, every medical board, every conference, every clinical trial, they're always ready and searching for something that will help their girl, to give her some relief from her pain and heartache. They stop at nothing. It's what parents do. It's what love compels you to do. She has a sick child. She is not just a Canaanite woman. She is a mother. And she needs help. And so she busts into this room and she grovels and begs for Jesus to help her. And Jesus ignores her. Sort of disturbing for us, really, to read that. He ignores her. And eventually, I guess because she's not going away, the disciples come to him and say, come on, you've got to do something. You've got to send her out of here. And Jesus eventually says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, no offense, lady, but you're not my people. You're not my problem. But she doesn't go away. She stays. Lord, help me. And that's when he says, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. Now, some scholars have pointed out that the word dogs here, Jesus uses the diminutive version of the word in Greek. It's diminutive, like sort of saying little dog or perito, as you'd say in Spanish. Sort of to lessen it a little bit, I think. But still, he's dismissing her, isn't he? He's trying to tell her it's not personal, but you're not a part of my mission and my ministry. And that's when she has the best comeback in all of Scripture. He tells her, "Look, I, I, I can't, I can't feed you." And yet she says, "But even the dogs get crumbs from the master's table. Call me a dog, I'll be a dog." Even they get fed, she says. If there was a microphone to drop in that moment, she would have done it. It's the best comeback in all of the New Testament because guess what? She changes Jesus' mind. Suddenly he says, Woman, great is your faith. And he commends her for her faith, her tenacity. This daughter is even healed. One author says that we should actually refer to her as the woman who changed the world because she just made Jesus' ministry bigger. A hint at what to come with the great commission to go and make disciples. She's telling him, look, I'm not trying to stop you from your mission and your purpose. I'm not trying to be a distraction. I'm just asking that you make it bigger and include me too. And he does. And I know right about now, it might feel strange to talk about a story where Jesus' mind is changed and even the walls of division in his own time and place begin to come down more and more. And yet, in our world right now, it feels very much like we are surrounded by walls and divisions from one another. We are constantly trying to divide ourselves from other people, us versus them, in or out, right or wrong. Divisions are everywhere. And yet we have to remember that as people of faith, to follow Jesus Christ, we are compelled to be a people who seek to take down walls of division between other people. To remember what unites us beyond anything else in a love that won't let us go. But I think if I could ask her, if I could ask that woman, that mother, what it is, what advice she might give us all today, I think she might tell us to not hold back, to not quit. She refused to go away. She had to get to Jesus. And she knew it. And she would not let anyone else stop her. This mother knew that she had to get to him. And even even when we go through hard and challenging seasons of life, I hope we know that we too need to just get to him. If desperate, beggy prayers is all you have right now in your life, then desperate, beggy prayers is enough. This mother knew that she needed to get to the feet of Jesus, and she did. I remember a woman of really deep faith, who told me there was a time in her life where life was really hard. She was, she was very sick and a lot of unknown. And she said that um, she was worried about the sincerity of her faith because it suddenly felt like she couldn't pray anymore. And it wasn't that she didn't believe. It's just she didn't have the words. And she was worried about that. And one day, someone from her own church, as people did, Called her up and said, I want you to know I'm praying for you right now. And she said, I told this woman that I was glad, real glad for that. Because I didn't seem to have words to pray myself these days. And she said, this woman immediately said back to her, that's okay. Because I have the words. And she said, "What what if right now, instead of trying to pray, you just call on his name? He already knows what's on your heart, what's in your mind. Just, just try to say his name and let that be your prayer. And it became a prayer practice for her. Uh, when she was waiting in the hospital lobby, she just said his name, Jesus. When she went through painful medical treatment, she just repeated that name, Jesus. She couldn't sleep at night for the worry and the fear of it all. She just kept saying his name. And it carried her through the season until she found words again. And one of the things I noticed sometimes in ministry, it was a surprise for me, frankly, was that sometimes when people are at their Worst, When they are at their most lowest and broken self, when life is particularly hard, they sometimes go away from church and faith, sometimes step away from it, as if to say church and this faith of ours is, is a place and a, a religion for people who have their act together, <laughs> who are perfect or can fake it until they make it. But I hope you know that this community of faith, your faith, is not something for the best of days. It is something to carry you through the worst. You do not have to have your act together. It is come as you are. Church should forever and always be come as you are, broken and imperfect Lost or overwhelmed, that's what this place is. And when you need a reminder of that, when you need a reminder of that truth, I hope that you will remember this communion table. It's shaped in a cross here at this church, but it is a reminder in the heart of this community, in the heart of our worship service, of a love that is stronger than any of us, in a love that won't let us go, so that you too will remember his name. Amen.